it is good to be with you this morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you, and it's good to be here. Uh, we'll talk about rest for a little bit this morning. And did everyone get that, that sheet of paper when you walked in? You got your, your calendar on it. We're going to use that in just a moment. So you can grab that. Uh, if you don't have a pen, uh, you can look in the seats around you, or you can raise your hand. Our ushers can, some of our ushers can go in the closet there and get you a pen, too. We're going we're gonna to do some things in just a, a couple of minutes. I'll tell you, so Pastor Marvin just said I, I wear a bunch of different hats. Part of that is um, I, a couple years ago I went bivocational in ministry, so I work here at the church, and I also do some things outside the church. On Thursday, on Thursday of this week, I was supposed to fly from uh, Baltimore where I was working with a company back to Boston. And I don't know if you've flown in the last couple of months, but it hasn't been fun, okay? I don't know if you've done it, but it hasn't been a blast lately. And so I got to the airport. It was a, a late afternoon flight, and it was one of those things where they came on. I got up to the gate a little early, and I thought, oh, good, the plane's here. This is fantastic. And then they got on the, on the microphone, and they said, hey, we're getting some warning lights when we, when we turn the key. I don't know how you start a plane, but when we, we try to, you know, it's not, it's not turning over or whatever it was. And so we got to run some tests, and, and we'll try to figure it out. All of a sudden, the wheels start turning. I really needed to be back here on Friday. Uh, and for some other things that were happening, and, and the wheels start turning, you know, do I try to switch flights, do I, but, or do I just hope? And they kept saying, but we think we're going to get it, you know, we've got the crews down there, and, and, uh, and so they, they were working on the plane, and they kept coming back, you know, hey, we, we tried to do it again, it didn't work, and, and so by the time it was canceled, uh, no other flights were, were leaving. So I went to the hotel that they uh, generously provided all of us. And my frustration was, they said, well, we're going to send the flight out tomorrow, and the flight will leave at noon, and it will get you into Boston about 2 o'clock. Well, that was just too late for the other things that I needed to do. So then you spend all, all, you know, the hours you should be sleeping trying to figure out what in the world you're going to do. So finally, my wife texted me, because she's awesome at this kind of stuff. My wife texted me at like 4 in the morning. My phone starts buzzing. And she's like, I found one. There's some seats. And so she, uh, she found some seats. And this is how desperate I was. All right, I had to take the 6 o'clock flight on Friday morning um, from uh, my, my least favorite airline. Now, we can fight about this later, all right? <laughs> Whether what airlines we like to fly and what airlines we don't like to fly. But for me, it's just not my favorite experience, all right? I'm not going to name names or try to, you know, talk about, bad about, let's just call this airline, like, Northeast Airlines, all right? <laughs> so it was the only option, so I took it. But here's the thing on Northeast Airlines. I just want to know where I'm sitting when I get to the airport, like, I just would love to know what my seat is, and then I get on the plane and I find that seat. I just, that, that's nice. But this is more of a general admission type deal. And uh, you line up like it's time to go outside for recess. <laughs> and they tell a bunch of jokes at 6 in the morning on the intercom. So I get onto the plane. And I see back there, halfway back the plane, those exit row seats, that some of them are still open by the time my line gets on the plane. So I walk to the door, and I, I can see it. 
right? It's like 5.30 in the morning. I can see it. I need to open up my laptop and get some. I'd like the extra space would be awesome. But it's, it's a war zone in there. So I start throwing elbows and, you know, pulling people out of the way. And I get back there to the exit row. And I find, I get a seat in the exit row. I'm very happy about that. And I sit down and I open up my laptop on my lap and I put my earbuds in and play some music. But I know I got to pay attention because the flight attendant's going to come back and going to ask me a question. And uh, she came up and I took the earbuds out and I knew what she was going to say. She said this, are you aware that you're sitting in an exit row? And I said, oh, I'm aware. I risked my life to get here. (laughs) And she said, are you sitting here because you're willing to save the rest of the plane (laughs) if anything bad happens, right? She said, I need a verbal confirmation from you. So I looked at her, and I lied, and I said, yes, that's why I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here because I got on the plane, and I said to myself, I want to be helpful. I want to be part of the crew and part of the team if something bad happens. That's not what I thought. I thought, what's the most comfortable seat where I can get the most work done and be bothered by the least amount of people? That's what I thought, and I found it. Just because you're sitting in a seat doesn't mean you're sitting there for all the right reasons. One of the things we're talking about this morning is why we sit in these seats. And our reasons for sitting in these seats. And the heart behind coming and sitting in these seats. And so as we close out this series on rest, um, that's something that, that I feel like the Lord wants us to think about together. Before we get into all of that, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to do something. I gave you that sheet of paper. I'd like for you to take a minute. Some of you are going to say, oh, this is a a weird thing to do. I'm not quite comfortable doing this in the middle of church. Some of you are going to say to me, thank you, pastor. I was going to do this later today anyway, and you saved me a bunch of time. All right? I would like for you to take a minute and block out next week. What does it look like for you? And I don't mean write down every detail. Just make some blocks on your calendar there. You know, maybe you, gotta, you draw a little square and you write in there, get ready for work or for school. And then you draw a block and you say school or you say work or whatever it is. And then you got activities, kids' activities or meeting for work or whatever it is. Take a couple of minutes. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to do this. What does your week look like? It looks different for everybody in the room. Some of you, I'm stressing you out right now. What does it look like?
I had a gentleman say to me after the first service, he said, you know, I'm retired. And so he said, I started to fill out your little calendar there. And I had all these big empty spaces in the week. And he said, you want to know what's crazy? He said, even with all these big empty spaces, I know I'm going to go through this next week and feel like I don't have time to get everything done that I need to get done. He said, I've been trying to fix my trailer for months. My, our camper needs new bearings. I've been trying to put them in for months, and I still can't find the time to do it. Even though I look at this schedule, and it's all the, the empty spaces. What does your week look like? I want you to keep thinking about that, because we're going to come back to this, to this calendar at the, at the end of our time together today. So go ahead and keep working on it. Keep filling that out. One of the things, if you've been with us over the last few weeks in our series on rest, and we've been talking about the Sabbath, I know for myself, preaching through these sermons, I've felt some tension around the Sabbath and what it really means for us today. And I don't know if you've felt this tension as well. Uh, and if you felt the tension of, of what it really looks like for us today to, to enter into the Sabbath and what it all means. And there's these questions that are out there. And some of you have emailed us. I think Pastor Rick might have mentioned this last week. Some of you have emailed us and said, hey, I was looking online to see what does it say about the Sabbath. And I came across all of these theologians and these people who say that even for New Testament Christians, the Sabbath is, is an, it's an Old Testament idea. And I don't think that's necessarily true, that it's not binding on us anymore. But then what does it mean for us? Even that, it can be confusing, right? You should have a Sabbath. It's not binding, but you should have one. What does that mean? You should, you should have a Sabbath, we said. You should, you should have a day that you, you remember the, the Lord. And we say, well, okay, so, but it doesn't have to be like the Old Testament Sabbath, we've said. You don't need to do it sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, where the, the Jewish faith still remembers uh, Sabbath or Shabbat on that day uh, and practices that, but we don't need to do that as Christians, we've said. You also don't need to follow, uh, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about those 39 categories of rules that the religious leaders had to make sure no one was working on the Sabbath. And Jesus, he causes problems by healing on the Sabbath and by doing other things on the Sabbath, eating on the Sabbath, and picking grain on the Sabbath with his disciples we went through. And so what does it mean that you don't have to follow all of those rules and you don't have to do it on a certain day, but yet you still should do it? What does that mean? We said that the Sabbath is a gift, but we also said it was a command. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's right there, number four. We said the Sabbath is a command from God. It's part of the Ten Commandments, but it's also a gift. I don't know about you, but gift and command seem like two different ends of a spectrum to me. I've never opened up a gift that someone's given me, and maybe, I don't know if you have, on your birthday, you open up the gift, and you pull it out, and you say, well, what is it? And they say, it's a new shirt, and I command you to like it, right? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really work. So what does that mean? What does all of that mean? And what are we really saying to you? What are we, what are we trying to say that the Scripture is saying about Sabbath? That's what I hope that we can understand in our time together. In Hebrews chapter 4, 
In Hebrews chapter 4, there are these verses that I think are helpful for us to understand a couple of things about the Sabbath. We're going to start here, and we're going we're to take a more broader look at what God says about rest in the Word. Because I think too, like many things, if you really want to understand what God means when he uses a word like rest, you have to hold quite a few moments in Scripture together. You have to wrap your arms around a bunch of different moments in the Bible. You can't just pick out one verse and understand it completely. And so we'll do a little bit of that today. But one of the things that I think is important out of this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, is that the text very clearly says that so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the, the author of the text is going back and he's saying there was a Sabbath rest at creation and there was a Sabbath rest during the Exodus when the Israelites were brought out of slavery. And there was a Sabbath rest under Joshua who took over after Moses. And then he says, and for you, and these are New Testament Christians, of course, followers of Jesus, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The author says there is a Sabbath rest for you. And yeah, it's a command, it's also a gift. And it's something that, that you should be entering into. In fact, the author uses another interesting parallel of words here. He says you should strive to enter into this rest. Which I think is a really interesting way to say that. Because, again, I put striving and resting on two opposite ends of a spectrum. And yet the author brings them together and says you should strive for this kind of rest. So what is this rest? That's the big question. And when I look at Scripture and I look throughout Old Testament and New Testament, when I consider what... The Apostle Paul says in Colossians about the Sabbath, or what the author of Hebrews says here in chapter 4. What we find is that the rest that God calls us to, it exists at the center of what I would call three types of rest. And if you'll stick with me, I want to take just a moment and walk through those three types of rest. Tell you what lies at the center in Scripture of those three types of rest. And then we'll experience rest together. So in Scripture, there's three types of rest. I think God tells us that Sabbath rest is found at the center of these three types of rest. And the first one is this. It's creative rest. You spend your week producing and creating. And what I want to tell you this morning one of the things I hope you'll hear is that there's nothing wrong with that. There is something inside of you, it's inherent inside of you, that desires to create and desires to produce and desires to make things, and that's from your Creator. You were made in the image of God. 
And as you're made in the image of God, the one who created everything, part of that image is that you are designed to create. And sometimes when we talk about rest, I think we get the idea that we say, listen, if you're a person that likes to work really hard and you're a person that likes to get things done and you're a person that likes to take time and and do things like uh, hobbies or scrapbook or play an instrument or do all of those things and you make yourself all busy with all of these things, uh, you're not a great person. That's not what we're saying. The image of God, you're stamped with that image. And part of that image is to create and to build and to produce. And it looks different at different points in your life, but it's a good instinct that you have. The challenge with that instinct is that it can take over. And when it takes over and it tips into being something that you do all the time and the switch never turns off, it becomes something, it goes from something that is stamped in you as, an, as a picture of the God who made you into something that you have to repent from. And in the book of Exodus, when, uh, when we're, God gives the commandments to his people, he actually grounds the fourth commandment in this reality. That part of the image of God is not in you, is not just that you would be wanting to create and wanting to build, but that you would also do exactly what he did and that you would rest from that as well. So in Exodus chapter 20, this is how the commandment is grounded. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, I know Pastor Rick has said this in some of the other weeks, but I'll just say it again. Because for me personally, this sermon series helped me think about something that I think I had just always taken for granted. I don't know, through all my years of study and reading the Bible, I never really thought about it before. I always thought, I guess just subconsciously, that God was worn out. (laughs) That he was just, he was tired. And he needed, I don't know, he needed a day to play fantasy football and (laughs) relax and have some coffee and just just recuperate a little bit after those six days of creation. And I, 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 because I always thought, well, that's what we're supposed to do, right? It's been busy, it's been stressful, it's been a long week, so we better kick our feet up and rest. That's what God told us to do. I mean, I'm not proud to admit this. It took all the way to this sermon series for me to say, well, that can't be true. God does not grow tired or weary. That's the truth in Scripture. He does not need rest the way that we need rest. He is not human in the fact that he needs to sleep and he needs to recuperate. So he's resting for another reason. And one of the things that this sermon series and the reading we've done has helped me personally to appreciate is that there's something within our Heavenly Father in which he says, it is good to build and create. And it is good to stop and enjoy what is very good about the creation. That's what he modeled for us. Some of us have two extremes. We have work really hard and stream Netflix. Those are what we have. We have work really hard and completely veg out, right? 
Those are, the, those are the pieces we have, and I have that too. I know how to do that. I know how to work really hard, and I know how to come home at, at, at night and just, whew, and just do nothing because I'm tired. But that's not creation rest. Creation rest is producing and building and taking a moment to say, God's creation is good. And yeah, I did a lot of stuff this week. But God's the creator and I'm not. It's not even about enjoying what I've created or built. It's about enjoying what he's created and built. It's about stopping long enough to say, I worked so hard this week. I actually, by Thursday, I started to think that it was all about me and what I'm able to produce. And so I'm going to stop and remind myself that it's about what he creates and what he's able to produce. He's God, I'm not. He's the creator, I'm not. That's what creation rest looks like. There's another rest that we see in Scripture. And I'll call this redemptive rest. Redemptive rest. And it's really interesting to me that in Exodus, the fourth commandment is grounded in creation rest. But in Deuteronomy, when you see the Ten Commandments uh, re-spoke about, uh, the fourth commandment is grounded in redemptive rest rather than creative rest. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10, we, we read this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So there's this redemptive rest in which God says to his people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, you were slaves in Egypt. I brought you out of there. The Exodus, right? Even if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know your Bible that well, maybe this is a story that you know about, you've heard about, where God's people were slaves in Egypt and Moses leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness, supposed to go to the promised land. But they end up wandering around in the wilderness for an entire generation. Why? Well, if you expand your reading around in Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews in the, in the verses, right around the verses we read, will tell you why. They refused this redemptive rest. God said, I'm your God and you are my people. I have redeemed you. I have called you mine. I will tell you what to go. I will send you to a better place. And the people kept saying, no, we've got this. We'll figure it out. And you know what? There was actually, we had a lot to do with that. Um, someone had to walk through the parted Red Sea, right? I mean, we, we did a lot of that. We kept our kids together, our animals. In fact, uh, there were times that they said, we actually think it was better back there. If you read the story, that's in there. We want to go back. It was better when we were enslaved. And their disobedience was a refusal of the redemptive rest that God was offering them to come before their God over and over again and say, you know what? I started doing a bunch of stuff this week, God, 
And I got, I got in my head, I don't know where, but there were all these problems at work, and then there were all these problems at home, and there's all these problems in the world. And so I, I knew this last Sunday, but then I got into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And by the end of the week, I thought saving the world was all up to me. And I thought fixing everything was on, on, all on my shoulders. My friends were fighting at school, and I thought, well, this is up to me to make right. And then there was conflict at work, and then there was an issue at home, and I'm trying to, like, weed out these bad behaviors in my life that I don't like. And so I took a wellness class, and I did a mindset thing, and I, and I started to change how I do my calendar, and I read some life hack articles, and I'm trying to fix all of this stuff inside of me. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm the Savior. You're not. And all of us need a Sabbath rest to be reminded. He's the Savior and you're not. And yet, nothing wrong with trying to work on some of these things. But work all you want. You can't redeem yourself from being enslaved in sin. Work all you want. You can't make your heart right with God. Try to fix all you want. But this world is broken by sin, and it will be broken by sin until the day Jesus Christ comes back. So fix all you want. There's some good things you can do. There's some injustices that you can help right. But he's the Savior. And all of us need a rest to pull back and say, okay, that's true. I was enslaved in my sin. And you pulled me out of it. It wasn't just an exodus for the Israelites, but in Christ it was an exodus for the rest of us. And you pulled me out of that and you set me free. And you have me on the right path and the right course toward you. And I had to pull back from work. I had to stop all that I was doing so that I could enter into rest and remember that is true. And there's a third kind of rest that we see in Scripture. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, ultimately this text that we are looking at, I think that this is the rest that this text points most strongly to. And that is that there is a hopeful rest in Jesus Christ. Meaning that there will be an eternity ahead of me in which I finally get to stop working and I finally get to stop producing and I finally get to stop fixing and I just get to enjoy the presence of God. I mean, Hebrews, the book, if we were to expand, talks a lot about this. Some of you are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 uh, where it talks about the great people of faith within the Bible. It goes to Abraham and Moses, it goes through all of them. And there's this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, where it's talking, I believe, specifically about Jacob, but really all of the figures that are in there. And it says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And there's something right, the text will tell us over and over again throughout Scripture, to live our lives resting in the fact that even though there is struggle and strife day to day on this earth, there will be a day that we have ultimate rest in God's presence. And it is right to pause and to rest and to remember that truth, the scripture says. Pastor Rick was telling us a story this week of his, his father-in-law, Daryl, building a rocking chair. 
And that the process of building the rocking chair was for him restful because it was a hobby and something he enjoys doing. Daryl's great uh, as a woodworker. But through that whole process, there was also this thought that one day the chair will be together and I will no longer have to work on the chair. I will be able to sit in it and rest. And I love that picture of what we're talking about with hopeful rest. That there is this sense that, yeah, it's good to work and we rest in the middle of our work. It's good to produce and we rest in the middle of our producing. But there will be a day when the work is done. And we rest in his presence. So Sabbath rest is found at the intersection of these three types of rest. There is creative rest. There is redemptive rest, and there is hopeful rest. The question remains, where do you find it? And the text is very clear throughout Scripture. Where you find it. There's only one place to find it. And it's not that you just create a block in your calendar where you're going to shut down for a while. Like, that's not where it is. And it's not that you just show up to church. It's another one of those, uh, those contradictions, right? You should have a day where you rest, and on this day, you should wake up early, shower all of your kids, make sure everybody's clean, feed everybody breakfast, get everybody dressed up, get into the car, fight on the way here, come on in, check in your kids, get in a seat, sit here for an hour and 15 minutes, try not to fall asleep because you're so tired from the rest of the week. That is what you should do on your day of rest. There's a contradiction there, right? So it's not just about showing up and sitting in a seat. The only place you're going to find this kind of rest is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the only place you're going to find it. It's not just about stopping. It's not a life hack to make you more productive. about something bigger than that. I hear people all week, and I hear myself say all week, I wish I just had time to rest. I wish I just had time to shut it all down. I wish there was a moment throughout the week that no emails came in. I woke up this morning and someone had emailed me in the middle of the night from, from one of the jobs that I do outside of, of church. And I thought, man, what a crazy world we live in. It's Saturday night. I'm getting emails on something I'm yeah, supposed to act on on Monday. It's crazy. But I sit here in church and Pastor Marvin gets up here and says the annual church council is Tuesday night. You know what my first thought is? I haven't finished my presentation yet. Maybe I should do that today. And like, no, I can't do it today. I'm supposed to be resting. Now I'm all stressed out. 
So it's not just about like shutting everything down and turning everything off, although there's a lot of positive things with saying no notifications for 24 hours. It's about striving to enter into the presence of Jesus Christ. Because there you find something way better than a good night's sleep. And you find something way nicer than not just getting Teams messages for a little bit. That hit home, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you find something far deeper than that. Matthew 11, chapter 28, this is what your Savior says. He says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And I got to tell you, I mean, that's all of you in the room. There isn't one of you in the room that doesn't labor and isn't feeling stress around that. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you know what you find in Christ? You find rest for your soul. That's what you need. You need rest for your soul. You'll find that when you remember that he's the creator. I mean, Christ is the creator, and you're not. He's the redeemer, and you're not. He is the one who prepares a place for you. You don't. And there has to be a time in your week where you stop and remember that. And you got to strive for it because it's not vegging out. It's not just shutting off your computer. It's then turning your attention and striving to rest in Christ. And you'll find that when you do that, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. My son Jackson is eight years old. My wife and I have banded together for many years. We've had to do this against our three kids. Because they have pushed very hard for pets in the house. And we're just a little busy for pets, all right? We're talking about resting. Like, I just, I feel like it's not fair to the pets right now. I like pets. I grew up with pets. I would love to have a dog. But we're just, it's not going to, it's not fair to the dog, to be honest, with the way our schedules work right now for us to have one. But they really love the idea of having pets in the house. And so we've, we've had to band together and stay strong because when they look at us a certain way, you know, and they're showing us pictures of pets online and families who are happy together and they're putting together PowerPoint presentations and all sorts of things, like it's easy to get weak. So finally they broke through and we compromised on a hamster. And uh, my son Jackson, for his birthday in August, he got a hamster. And we went out to the pet store, and we, we went to three pet stores before we found the perfect one. They all looked the same to me. 
But we found the perfect one, and we brought him home. And, uh, and of course, you got a hamster cage, you got the wheel, yeah. right? The new wheels are great, by the way, because when I had a hamster when I was a kid, that thing kept me up all night. Squeak, 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 squeak. But the new wheels, I don't know, these things are made by NASA or something. They don't make a sound. <laughs> but every night when he's going to bed, you know, the hamster's nocturnal, the hamster is up, and what's the hamster doing? I mean, he is in that wheel, and he is going like crazy. He's going nowhere, but he's going there fast. And he is, I mean, he is just driving and driving and driving. It's impressive. And every once in a while, he'll get off and rest. And then he's right back in there all night doing that. And sometimes in the morning, Jackson will say, oh, the hamster was like running all night. I mean, look at your calendar. Look at it. Is that your week? Do you feel like that sometimes? That's what you're doing? is getting on that wheel and just turning and turning and turning and turning, and it's going to start. Maybe you don't even feel like you got a break, right? Because work ended on Friday, and yesterday was packed with kid activities, and today you're at church, and this afternoon you got a lunch, and by the time you know it, it's going to be time to get everyone in bed and wake up tomorrow morning and just go. you got to get off the wheel and rest in Christ. And you say, but I don't have time. God says in his word that you do. He says, I've given you all the time that you need. So the issue is not that I haven't given you enough time. The issue comes down to whether or not you can stop being the creator, stop being your own redeemer, and stop being your own generator of hope long enough to remember that I do those things. The issue is that you are saying yes to things that you should say no to. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have plenty of time to do things that have no redeeming value, even as we complain that we don't have time to do things. And I think sometimes for me, I have to think about what it will look like when I see my Savior face to face. And I know he forgives me, and I know he loves me, and I know he will not hold my sin against me. But scripture is clear that there will be an accounting for how I've used my time. And if I say, well, you know, I lived in a really expensive part of the country, so I had to work really hard, which is true. And if I say, I had three children and they were very busy, that's true. And whatever's on your calendar, you've got your things that are true. I might say to God, so God, I just, I couldn't find the time to rest in you the way that you command me to. That God might be able to come back to me and say something like, 
Well, I see you found the time to run three fantasy football teams. I see that you found the time to watch shows. I don't know what it is for you. I see that you found the time, God might say to you, to be up to date on everything happening on TikTok. So there's time. And our question through this whole series through these four weeks is quite simply this. Where is the block of time in your week that you rest from your striving and rest from this world and strive to rest in, the re in Jesus Christ? Where is it on your calendar? And if it's not there, where are you going to put it? Just because you're in this seat doesn't mean you know how to do this or that we're here for the right reasons. What would it look like? I was thinking about this this week. What would it look like if across Mount Hope, all three of our gatherings that we have, two here in Burlington and one in Belmont, the people of God came together and on a Sunday morning, we didn't just come here and sit ourselves down and say, all right, I'm here. What if we came here and said, we are, going, we are here to rest from our striving from the week and we are here to strive to rest in Jesus Christ together. What would that look like? How would our worship change? How would our conversations change? How would our response to the opening of God's word change? If we were saying, hey, we are here together to strive to rest in Jesus Christ. And most importantly, how would our evaluation of the service change? How would our evaluation of our time together change if we really did this? Because for most of us, we come to churches on Sunday morning and our evaluation is as simple as whether or not we liked it. And this is exactly how I am. And I don't think God really cares whether or not you liked it. And I don't think that God calls pastors to worry too much about whether or not people like it, even though that's what pastors end up doing. So we come here from all our towns and all our places, all our workplaces where we don't know any other Christians and all your classrooms where we don't know anyone else who follows Jesus Christ. And we come into this place and we gather together as the body of Christ to strive to rest together in the presence of Jesus Christ. And then we leave and we're saying to each other, well, you know, like I liked the first song, but I didn't really like the second song. And I think I liked that church we visited last week. I liked the way that they did uh, their greeting. And then I didn't like, like these name tags were really skinny. I didn't really like how the skinny the name tags were. I like a thicker name tag where I can write a little bit more. I, it just, I didn't like the way the sound was. A little too loud, a little too soft. Songs are a little too new. They were a little too old. The preacher went a little too long, went a little too short. Like all is whether or not we liked it. I got to tell you, it would change a lot if we came in and said, we are here to strive together to rest in Jesus Christ. It wouldn't matter what song we played, or it wouldn't matter what verse we read, 
or it wouldn't matter, it wouldn't matter how long the sermon went, like that, the, that we would come together and we would meet Jesus Christ and we would find rest for our souls and we would walk out and we say, how is church today? We thought it was great. We found rest for our souls in Christ. I don't want to leave this morning without offering you a chance to rest. We're going to take about five minutes to do this. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Get comfortable. You spent your week striving for all sorts of things. Grades, money, meaning, significance, purpose. You strove for relationships and friendships, your health and wellness. Your Savior invites you this morning. Come to me. You who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This week you worked and labored. Take a moment to identify the things in your life that consume your thoughts and energy and cause you to strive relentlessly. Consider the weariness that often accompanies your life, the weight of responsibilities, the pressures of expectations, and the trials you face. Set these things aside. Set your heart and mind on the work of Jesus Christ. Rest in the truth that He created everything. The galaxies that stretch across the cosmos, the delicate balance of nature, and the beating of your own heart. All of this is the result of God's ceaseless labor of love. He sustains the universe. He orchestrates 
the course of history. And he knows and cares for you. Rest in the reality that he is your savior. You do not need to do anything to earn his love. All you must do is receive it. He forgives you. He restores you. He makes all things new. Rest in the fact that Jesus will come again to create a new heaven and a new earth. That one day you will hear a voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus invites you to find rest for your soul in him. It is an invitation to walk in his footsteps, to be in close communion with him. Consider the beauty of learning from Jesus. The one who is gentle and humble in heart. Thank you, Lord for the peace that comes in resting in you. Forgive us, Lord, for not doing this more often. Help us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. To have the faith this week create a block of time where we remember that you are a creator and our provider and we are not. That you are the savior and we are not. That you offer us hope that cannot be found here. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and let's sing together.